people, this isn't that complicated. More is better. If you like one podcast a week, you'll like two even more. I'm not the only one that thinks this. Yes, Robert. I got an email this morning from a supporters club member. I'll just I'll keep his name anonymous for now, but it's very nice message goes as following hi jonathan i hope you're well and had a good christmas and new year most people take some time off but i've been listening to the podcast and can see that Weijo and rojo have been keeping you at work to keep the pods coming i took the plunge on black friday and treated myself to a let's run.com supporters club membership and have to say i've been loving the two podcasts a week get yours today let's run.com slash subscribe Welcome to Track Talk, the world's best podcast if you view running as a competitive sport, not a charity fun run. On this week's show, we'll take an in-depth look at the Paris 2024 Olympic track and field schedule, which came out yesterday, and tell you the good news if you're a Jacob Ingebrigtsen fan. We'll also break down the amazing 2023 Boston Marathon Elite Women's Field, which came out yesterday and is unprecedented in its depth. Talk about a big doping vest in Kenya where a man that has very close ties to two Olympic champions has gone down. All of that and much more, including talk of which pro has pulled a Tom Brady and decided not to unretire. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, unlike Google, we want to hear from you. Give us a call, pick up the phone, 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Play your voicemail. Always send you a free shirt. You can get it at shop.letsrun.com. Guys, this is Let's Run co-founder Robert Johnson, joined as always by Jonathan Gold. Well, Johnson, how is everybody? John, I enjoyed the, the ad read to start the show about this, about the person that has joined on Black Friday and kept their name out of it. It was really nice that you got to share their name or that not suitable for work picture that they sent you. I don't believe it was a man, John. I believe it was, it was, it was one of your many female fans. I don't think it was a woman, Robert, but thanks for that confidence. And just for the record, there was no NSFW picture. Uh, let's keep it that way. But yeah, Robert, it was, no, it was a very nice thing to w- wake up to. And I, we always appreciate the sport. Thank you, everyone, all our Supporters Club members. We love you. Uh, and yeah, ready to talk some track. It's the first full week of 2023. Last week, we made our big, bold predictions for the year, which all of them are going to come true, of course. And now we can actually focus on some news because we do have some news. We've got the Houston half and full marathons this weekend. We're going to do a more in-depth preview of that on the Friday 15. So if you want to hear us talk about Connor Mance and Jenny Simpson and Emily Sisson, how all those athletes, Tiranesh Dababa coming back after four years in the cold, we're going to talk about all of their chances on the Friday 15 on Friday. So make sure you join the supporters club, let's run.com slash subscribe. If you want us to preview that race in depth for you. Plus, I think we'll have an interview on Friday's show with us pro, 
almost made the Olympic team. I mean, you can't get any closer than making the Olympic team than finishing fourth, right, John? I mean, that's as close as you can get. He has demanded that I send him the Let's Run.com singlet. He'll be racing in the Let's Run colors, assuming the UPS delivers on time. I tried to send him some Let's Run t-shirts. Weldon called me. He's like, Robert, I don't think you're doing this right. Three-day three day ground won't get there in time. I said, it's supposed to get there in time, but I'm checking the tracking now. My shirts won't be there, which are the t-shirts. For some reason, that's coming on Friday. But the singlet, which was sent the same day, is going to get there, hopefully. So that's the good news. And I am also glad about that positive email, John, because there was a Supporters Club member that posted on the message board today. And I just emailed them for a response. They said, I, I view Jonathan Galt as a questionable journalist in general. So I don't know what they don't like about you, John. But even some SC members, apparently, find your probably, a, if it's not a doping threat, I probably think they think you're too soft on the... Burrito, I mean, Bowerman Tie Club. Well, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and we listen to them. That's what the message boards are there for. How about we welcome in Reb Weldon Johnson to the show? He had to duck out early of the Friday 15 last week, didn't get to hear all of his answers to the... Well, we got a very condensed version of his answers to the questions that Robert and I debated for a bit longer. But Weldon, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Good to be here, John. Good to be here. Still recovering. Yes, for the Friday 15, we did the burning questions of 2023. And John, I see you're wearing the let'srun.com new long sleeve t shirt once again. Robert, is mine in the mail finally? That would be a negative. He has still not filled out the form, John. <laughs> well, then why it. do you even ask him if you haven't filled out the form? Why he would knows you my address. It to be in the mail? He knows my address. What it just generates once I type it in, he could do that for me. But, John, I'm surprised you're not wearing a Patriots jersey right now. I got back from the store today. I saw a guy proudly wearing his Patriots gear today. You guys had another great, successful season. We call that the Jason Garrett playoff game, which you had last weekend. <laughs> and I guess you guys are confident and happy about the season. So, congratulations. I, You know, I was taking off my James White jersey after Thursday, Sunday's defeat against the Buffalo Bills, and I was thinking, wow, I'm not going to be wearing this again until September. Another football season has come to a close. The Patriots have failed to win the Super Bowl for the fourth season in a row. The drought I likes the, the a drought the likes of which we're not used to around these parts. Uh, but I guess I'll make do. Bill Belichick has said he's coming back for his 24th season as coach in the fall. Hopefully we will be better than eight and nine. Well, well, the Cowboys have a 200 and what, like 65 day vacation soon. What a Bill Belichick became the Dallas Cowboys coach. We don't need to go there. John, your team is still in the FA Cup. Congratulations. I can say that my team is out. I was trying to get look at soccer highlights this weekend. And it said, oh, this highlight is not available in your location. Boom. One click of the, well, maybe what? I need to figure this out. I guess I have to pull up the app at another click. Two clicks of the phone. My location was fixed. I was able to see all the highlights. You want that? You want the ability to secure your internet traffic? You need the VPN of Letron.com. That's NordVPN. You can get a 30-day money-back trial. We, we, we used this before. They would pay for us to use this. We found this on our own. That's how good NordVPN is. Check it out. Let's run.com slash VPN. Link in the show notes. Well, I personally can't think of a better use of using a VPN than to watch the 
bottom team in the Premier League dump Crystal Palace out of the FA Cup. So that's money well spent. Let's talk about running now. We've got a bunch of things on the docket. I'm really excited about this Boston Marathon field. The women's elite field was just released on two, on Monday. And we should have the men's elite field at some point this week, I think. But that's TBD. And Robert, you wrote a great article essentially summing up how good this field is going to be. It's, by some measures, the deepest marathon field in history. That's something we're normally used to doling out to London or Valencia. And right now, it's Boston. Certainly, if you look at sub-218 personal best, you've got five women who've run under sub-218. That's the most ever in one marathon. And you just keep going up the line. 16 women sub-221, that's a record. 16 sub-222, that's a record. 22 sub-225, that's a record as well. Obviously, not all of those personal bests are from you know, the last couple of years, but a lot of them, certainly among the best athletes, are. There were a lot of fast marathoners last year. A number of them are running Boston. I'm super, super pumped for this race. I am as well. I, I don't know if I was just in a good mood or, or the stats just blew me away or what, but the Boston organizers sent out a press release with everybody in it. They didn't, sometimes they, I hate when the races do like a few elite and then a few more, blah, blah, blah. And I just was like 214, 217, 217, 217, 217, 218, 218, 219, 219. And this isn't like people who've run these times, you know, a long time ago. These are people who have, Almost all of them have run their PRs very recently. Um, so it's an incredible field. It's going to be a great race. Yeah, let's hit some of these names because you've got Amane Bariso. She's the woman who shocked everyone, took six minutes off her PR and ran 214.58 to win Valencia in December to become the third fastest woman in history. You've got Sheila Chepkarui of Kenya who ran 217.29 in Valencia. Jocelyn Jepkosguy, 2021 London Marathon champion. She was also second in New York last year. Lona Salpeta, world championship medalist last year. Angela Tanui, 217 PB, won Amsterdam in 2021. And Sharon Lefady, who won the New York City Marathon. In November, and then Edna Kiplagat, two-time Boston champion. She's 43 years old, but you never count her out. So that's the international size. You've well, also I got don't... All right, go ahead. You left out one of the bigger names. Go with Tim Gilbert, so I see the world champion. Good catch. It was, oh, here's why, Robert, because I'm scrolling down the list by personal best, and 218.11, that used to put you at the very top. And now she is only tied for sixth in terms of personal best going in. So, yeah, she'll be there as well. Should be a fantastic field. I'm sorry, I said Jeb Cosgar was second in New York last year. I meant second in London last year. Uh, either way, it's impressive. And, I think you know, part of that, let's acknowledge some of the other factors here. In general, times are just faster than they were a few years ago because of the super shoes. And also, last year was a historic year for women's marathoning. You know, you had an explosion of super fast times in basically every race across the globe. So I'm sure that when London and Valencia come out with their fields later this year, 
those are also going to be stacked. But even you know, account, even accounting for that, this is probably the, this is very strong compared to previous years for the Boston Marathon. I would say it has to be the the deepest Boston Marathon field of the women's side we've we've ever seen. Because as you said, Robert, sometimes it's former champions getting tried out, or it's people who have fast times on the resume from a year, a few years ago. These ones are like all fairly recent. So I think it's going to be great. You've also got some interesting American storylines in there. Sarah Hall's running. Alephine Tulliamark, Des Linden, Emma Bates. That's some pretty good domestic competition as well. Oh, Nell Rojas, I should mention. She was top American the last two years in Boston. So can't forget about her. Okay, guys, a couple points of order. You all were texting me about this field yesterday asking about my permission. I don't know if you're joking around or what, because sometimes they're very critical of the Boston fields. They're not that deep. So you guys can maybe explain that. But the depth is amazing. But I'm wondering once the London field comes out, if we'll say the exact same thing about London. The game changed so much in the last year or two. This just may be the more norm. We're going to have to drop. Can we drop keeping track of 225 marathons? That's over 11 minutes off the world record. Like, we don't need to, who cares if it's 25 persons in the field? I'm sorry. 221 is the new cutoff. And this field has some names. You know, Jip Koskai was what, probably the number one marathon or number two marathon in the world a couple years ago. And then this Amane Barisa, who no one had ever heard of until Valencia, drops a 214.58. I mean, Salpeter, there's pretty big names. Kipplegut, sorry, Pastor Prime. But the three names it doesn't have, Bridget Koskai, Ruth Chepengedich, Perez Church here. I'll even throw a fourth name, Y squared, Yomzef Yehula. Those are, might be like four of the top six marathoners in the world. Wouldn't you guys agree? I would. And I was going to mention the same thing. I think you're spot on, Weldon, that when the London field comes out, as good as this Boston field is, it wouldn't surprise me if all four of those women are running London. Um, because lo- we know London has a big purse, bigger than Boston. And we know we've seen them do it before. They'll get all these stars together in one race. That's what they're famous for. And there, you know, there is Tokyo Marathon, but that's historically doesn't attract the same level of star power. Maybe one of those women w- runs Tokyo, but Yalimzef, Yahalo. She's the defending champion in London. I expect she'll be back. Some of these other women, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're there as well. It's interesting that Perez Jipchirchir is not running Boston because she's the defending champion. And Boston usually pushes very hard to bring back the defending champs. And unlike last year, when Diana Kipuke didn't run Boston as the defending champ, to our knowledge, there's no doping case involved involving uh, Jipchirchir at the moment. My and if she did switch, she did scratch from her full marathon last year, so maybe she's not fully healthy yet, but I kind of think she'll be running London, and if all those women come together and run London, yeah, maybe we're saying that's a better field. That's not to take away. This is a great Boston field, but my, I guess my question to you guys was, what do you think these marathoners will do? And I'll throw in Tigis de Sefa, who won Berlin in 215 last year, and Almaz Ayana, who briefly had the debut record running 217 in Amsterdam. Robert, do you think they'll all be in London or do you think they might try something like Nagoya or Tokyo or 
not even a marathon at all next spring or this spring. Did we even mention lots in that good day? My notion. Well, she's running world cross, so I don't think she'll do another marathon this quickly. But she's lurking out there as a possibility. I assume she's going to do world cross and then track, but you never know. Look, the field was amazing. I was blown away by just looking at the numbers. We've been keeping track of this. Walden says we shouldn't keep track of anything under 225. And I, you know, I used to only go up to 218. Now I'm down to 215. But you need it all the way down because Sharon Lucchetti, she's a New York City Marathon champion. Her PB is 223-something. So at first I was like, my God, who else is there left? And then I realized there's a lot left, those names. They won't all end up in London, but a lot of them will, and London will be a better race. Up top, there'll be bigger names because, sure, this field, it's wild. I mean, if I'm talking about the most likely to win, I think it's Amanda Bariso, Jocelyn Jopeskai, Salpeter, Gabriel Selassie, and maybe Sharon Lucchetti. And then the Kippa got, you know, I don't think she's going to win, but she'll probably be top three. But there was, I went through the list, and I think all 16 women that are running under 221, I looked up something about all of them. And it's kind of crazy. Like, you can be a... 220 marathoner, you know, and it's just, it doesn't even move the needle for me. Like Celestine Chepchircher, Kenya, 22010, 27-year-old was fourth in Seoul and seventh in Amsterdam. Like, you know, it's it's nice sort of depth to have, but I, I don't think she's going to contend for the win. But there's two of the 10 women, 10 women, last year, 12 of the 25 times in history under 218 were all run. And two of the 10 different women did it. Two of them are in Boston. So that means there's eight others. I would think probably, how many here? There's five sub-218 women. I think you're going to have at least five in London, probably more, six. A couple will go to Tokyo. And then Nagoya, it has, what, the $250,000 first prize? So why wouldn't people do that? But if they don't pay appearance fees, I was talking to someone in the know yesterday, and we could talk a little bit about the finances in a minute, but I was like, how much do you think, like, someone gets paid to like defend their title in Boston, you know, and the number thrown out to me was roughly 200 K. And that's sort of the cap on most of these races. Like they don't see the need to spend that more than about 250 K to get someone to come. But if you're going to get 200 K like running Nagoya, you might not win. If you don't win, it's 250,000. So someone's going to want to go to Nagoya, but I don't think a lot of depth are going to go there. I mean, last year we had Salpeter and somebody else. Salpeter was second. Who ended up winning Nagoya last year? Ruth Chepengedich. And it's kind of a prisoner's dilemma thing because if one of the big stars goes there, they're going to have a very good shot at that 250,000 first place prize. But if two or three go, they're kind of all screwing each other because only one of them can take the big prize. So that's why I kind of think a lot of them will just go to London and take that guaranteed big appearance fee. So I think when it's all said and done, the London field will have the, the bigger names at the very top. They won't have quite the same depth as Boston. I think Boston will set the record for, what is it, 16 sub-221s? Like London barely even has 16 people total in the, in the elite field normally. So they normally have smaller fields, but super, super rich up top. But that is one, I was like, how is this possible? And then it kind of hit me. I'm like, well, you know, when I when originally I thought everybody was in Boston, I'm like, wait, who's not here? And you taught me, you know, John's like, well, the defending champion's not here. And then think about it. The American record holder, Emily Sisson, also isn't there. She doesn't like Hills, despite going to school in Providence. It wouldn't surprise me if she never runs Boston the rest of her career. 
Did she run it once, John? No, right? No, she's never run it. When that would not surprise me if she's an over for her life. Kira D'Amato, former American record holder. I don't know what she's up to. And then uh, Molly Seidel, you know, the spent a lot of time in Boston, Olympic bronze medalist. She's not in it. So by not having the defending champion, if you have 200,000, and some of these Americans that might take six-figure appearance fees to come, you've got a lot of money. They had probably, assuming they didn't spend all that on Kipchoge, I don't know if the men's and women's budgets are separate, but they probably had north of $300,000 to throw out at these Africans, you know, $25,000 at a time. I mean, you could get, um, you know, 12 really good Africans for 300 grand. Yeah. So you mentioned those three Americans, Robert. You could say arguably the three top American female marathoners right now, Seidel, D'Amato, and Sisson. What do you think they'll do this spring? I'm not really sure. Do you know? I, I, Seidel to me is a different story. She's a woman trying to get healthy, trying to get her body right, trying to get her mind right. Maybe she's not ready to commit. Like, with, And if you're a race, well, other than Boston, would you pay her a lot of money as the Olympic bronze medalist? I think it's too much of a wild card that she's going to bring that A-game performance. I assume Emily Sisson is going to... She's a marathoner. I don't want her wasting her time on the track. I assume she's going to go... I don't think these women are going to go to Tokyo because it's kind of a quick turnaround. So I assume she's going to go to London. More I think about that. I think D'Amato probably would go. I don't know. She could do an Amsterdam or Rotterdam. When are these races? Which one's in the spring? Yeah, Rotterdam and London, both in the spring. Uh, one thing I still floated out there, maybe it was on the message board by someone. Sorry if I'm not giving you credit. I don't remember exactly who, but they suggested sort of how about D'Amato and Sisson go to London and race each other for the American record. You've got the last two American record holders. We know D'Amato wanted to take a run in it last year in Berlin and came up short. I think that will be a lot of fun. Sisson made her debut there in 2019. That would be great from an American fan perspective to have that sort of, you've got Boston on the Monday and then on Sunday you have American record holders squaring off. Now the question is, Will Demardo run another marathon this spring? She, we know she likes to race a lot. She doesn't mind sort of stacking races on top of each other. She ran four marathons last year, though, and her last one in New York was quite poor. She only ran two thirty-one. So, will she come out and run another one this spring? I kind of expect she will. I think she'll go for a flat, fast course, try to run a personal best, take a shot at the American record. Sisson, we know she's running Houston this weekend in the half marathon. And yeah, the question is, will she try to go back to the track this summer or will she run some more halves or or will she, because I don't think she's going to do world cross either. She's not really known for her cross country prowess or will she actually do a full marathon? So I guess that's something we can find out this week. I'll try to talk to her coach, Ray Tracy, see what her plans are for the spring. That would be exciting. And then Seidel, that one, yeah, that one, like you said, Robert, I wouldn't be surprised if she runs a marathon this this spring. If she doesn't run a marathon this spring, she's still kind of working her way back into top fitness and health, managing her health, both physical and mental. So yeah, maybe it takes her a while and she doesn't rebound and run one until 
the summer or the fall, uh, which I think would make sense for her. I think for sure. I have no inside knowledge. But Sisson runs London. Probably D'Amato as well. I mean, I guess you could do Rotterdam, right? But London makes more sense. And she's probably still got it in her head, like, wait, maybe I can get down there. Perfect course, perfect day. I don't think it's going to happen. I think Emily Sisson, right now, is the, the future. She's much younger than D'Amato. She's running like a minute faster. So, and Seidel's a big question mark. I think probably she doesn't run a spring marathon. But big picture, guys. I mean, they, they announced the women's field separate from the men's. We haven't forgotten the main entree. Elia Kipchoge will be in Boston this year, racing Benson Capruto and Evans Chabet. When they did that, I thought, oh, they're going to have no money for the women's race. Like, they'll just throw out like one of the old Berlin fields, essentially. So kudos to Boston for putting this field together. It's, it's strong, and it's got interesting storylines. It's interesting. The other th- interesting thing is this is John Hancock's last year sponsoring the race. So I wonder if they're like, oh, we're rolling over all the leftovers from previous years. They're just like, hey, let's just blow it out big time. I'm kind of curious to see what it's going to look like in 2024 when they have a new sponsor and how supportive they're going to be of the elite race. But for this one, that John Hancock's going out in style. John, we're not allowed to talk about that now. Our sponsorship talks, we're supposed to keep that quiet. Is John Hancock taking over Let's Run? They're pivoting? Well, then, I, the first no, I've I mean, heard of this. Let'srun.com Boston Marathon. Oh, right. They, whether we get the first name or Boston still gets the name, you know? Yeah, let'srun.com Boston Marathon or the Boston Marathon presented by let'srun.com. Right. Yeah. They're sort of traditionalist. But the amount of money we're throwing at them, you know, it's like, look out. This is, you know, we're from the dot com first bubble era. Look out, people. Look out. <laughs> That's how uh, Daniel Snyder bought the Washington Commanders, right? Wasn't he part of the dot? Oh, no. Mark Hugh, I'm thinking Mark Cuban with the, the Mavericks. He was a dot com billionaire. All right. Well, yesterday I wrote that story on the Olympic, I mean, on the Boston Marathon. While I was doing that, John, you were working on a study on a story on the 2024 Paris Olympic track and field schedule. It's now out. You can see it on let'srun.com. But when it came out, you know, you said, Robert, do you want me to look to see which doubles are possible? And I said, absolutely. And the good news is it seems like almost every double in the book is possible. There was a, you know, I mean, including some that weren't possible in, in, in Tokyo. So I'm really excited about that. I really think, how do you make track more popular? You've got to build stars. Like Michael Phelps is his name because he, you keep getting his branding throughout the entire swimming competition because he's competing all the time. So if you can get people to win, go for the one and the 200 or the two and the four or the 400, 400 hurdles, you know, I, I think that's really good for the sport. So correct me if I'm wrong, right? Almost every double is doable um, except for one you had, right? And then what... Yeah, well, I was thinking of this in terms of like realistic doubles athletes, some of the biggest stars might actually attempt and and run through every single combination. But in the press release, they say, look, the 100, 200, 800, 1500, 1500, 5K, and 5K, 10K, they're all 
they planned it out so you can do all of those. And then I looked at some others specifically, 1,500, 5K, 10K. If you wanted to triple it, like Jakob Ingebrigtsen has said, he wants to do the triple in Paris. That works. It's it's going to be tough, obviously, running three events, but it's about as good as he could ask for in terms of how the schedule lines up. Uh, women's 1,500, 5K, 10K, if someone wants to do it, what Hassan did. That one is also feasible. You'd have to run the 10K final the day before the five, the 1500 final. That's kind of the hardest thing. But in 2021, Hassan ran those two events on consecutive days. The order was flipped. Uh, 400, 400 hurdles for Sydney McLaughlin and Lavroni. That one, very doable. She wouldn't have to run more than one race on any given day. And like you said, Robert, we could potentially have her running seven consecutive days at the Olympics between the 400, the 400 hurdles, and the 4x4 relay final. That would be a great way to showcase one of the sport's biggest stars. 400-800 with a thing Mo. That one, it's not ideal. You have the 400 first round on the morning of August 5th, and then you've got the final of the 800 on that evening. But they're separated by almost 10 hours. So for someone like a thing, Mo, the first round of the 400 isn't going to take a lot out of her. The other, the other problem is you have the 800 semis the night before. So she's running three sessions in a row. That's really not ideal, but I don't think it's necessarily disqualifying that she couldn't do it. 200, 400. If Shawnee Miller Weibo wants to try that again, that's fairly doable. And, the 200-400, that's the one that really wouldn't work for the men uh, because the 200-meter semis are an hour before the 400-meter final. So so that's good. I mean, just, you yeah. know, I, 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 I love the press release how it said these doubles are possible. I mean, the biggest problem in with Tokyo was the 1,500-5,000 was a lot harder for the men. And I think they realized Inga Britton's a big star. He, at a minimum, he wants to do that. We have to make this possible. They made that possible. The next obvious thing, I mean, because generally the 100, 200 is the 400, 400 hurdles. They made it very easy for Sydney McLaughlin to do that. I think Mo, a little harder, but she's not quite as big of a star. She could do it if she wants. It would be just great to see if they can do it. So I think that they deserve credit for this. Hey, if some guy decides they want to do it, the 200, 400 double, well, they should have indicated that before now, I guess. What about the Fred Curley, Johnny? 100, 400. I actually didn't look at that, so you're putting was, me on the spot. That was a joke, but... Well, it's I don't think it's a total joke. I mean, Michael Norman, the 400-meter world champion, has said he wants to move down to the 100. Wayne Van Niekirk, who is the 400-meter world record holder, he said he wants to move down to the, four, to the 100 eventually. So I don't know if that's still on the... On, is still among the plans. I'm looking at it now. I don't think you could do that because the first round of the 400 is on August 4th in the evening, and then you've got the 100 meter semis less than an hour later, and then you have the 100 meter final later that night. So I don't think anyone's going to run the run, the 400 first round right before the 100 meter semis. No, one thing I didn't ask about: when is the mixed gender four by four? The prelims are on day one in the evening, and then the final is on day two in the evening. And one observation that 
Kyle Moba made on Twitter was if Sydney McLaughlin and Lavroni wanted to go for quadruple gold, she could actually try that because he would have the mixed gender relay on day two. She'd only have to run the final. And then the 400 and 400 hurdles, those events don't start until day four. So she could run that one before all her events. I don't think, I mean, it depends who else US puts on the relay, but if Sydney's on there, they've got a pretty good chance to win. And then they'd be fa- she'd be favored, certainly in the 400 hurdles, certainly in the 4x4, it'd be up to her to win the 400 as well. But there would be a path there for her to replicate some of the sports all-time greats, Jesse Owens, Carl Lewis, and winning four Olympic gold medals in one Olympics. Okay, Joe, let's put a little asterisk by that because they didn't have a made-up event for Jesse Owens and Carl Lewis to get Olympic medals. And But I'm shocked athletes who have the potential, especially for the U.S., to run the mixed relay. It's an, it should be an automatic gold medal that they don't run it. Like, why not go run it? I think most sign up, a sign up, a sign up. It's very easy. The, but at the World Championships, you guys, they had a rule in place. I think you're only allowed to switch out like one runner for the final. They should keep that rule in place, I think. Maybe I don't want people just showing up for the final. I mean, Sydney will presumably be the fastest US 400 meter runner. If she wants to run it, she gets the thing. But eventually, is the mixed gender relay just going to be for the U.S. to like sub in whatever run? Or they, it'll be interesting, like how they do it, right? Well, at some point, does like an athlete's, let's say, I think Mo, they want to give her another another gold medal. Should that be a valid reason for you to be in the relay? The reason why not everyone's jumping at leaping at the chance to run this for the United States is they know that the. F- Regular four by fours are close to a lock for gold anyway. So anyone who would be getting like this automatic gold medal by running the mixed gender would just say, "No, I'm going to run my individual event, and I'm going to run. I'm going to no matter what happens, I'm going to get a gold running the regular four by four. Why would I run and run this other silly event before my individual event? Might screw things up when I know I'm probably going to get the four by four gold at the end of the Olympics anyway. That's why people aren't jumping at the cost to do it." Well, we say it's an automatic goal, but somehow, do you guys remember what happened in Tokyo? John, we weren't fans of the event because we kind of thought it was made up to give Allison Felix a gold medal, but she didn't even run the event, even though the 400 started days after it. The women's individual 400 was days later, and she did not run the mixed gender, and we only finished third. So I, I don't, I agree with Weldon. Like, I know it comes before your event, but does it really tire you out to run that before the 800 or? Three days before your eight hundred, or three days before your four hundred prelims. Well, it's not an automatic. No. It's not an automatic goal if the top athletes don't all agree to run it. If you're running, there's a reason why the U.S. didn't win it at the Olympics or at the Worlds because they weren't running their best athletes on it. But if the two best American men and two best American women run the race, yes, it is an automatic goal. Also, you guys make it sound like it's kind of easy for Sydney, but I think this. This format's actually kind of hard, harder for her. The easy would, way would be, and this would conflict maybe more with a mixed gender relay, set up one event before the other event. I think that's easier. Here she's having to do semis back-to-back. Well, I guess semis are still pretty easy for her. Then final back-to-back. I think it would build a lot more drama. This will build more TV drama. But I think the other way is easier for her as an athlete. 
I, I agree with you, Weldon, but this way is at least doable. Like, there's, she's not having to run twice on one day. Uh, you know, they're not 100% overlapping. But yes, the best would be run one event, finish that, and then the next round, next event starts the next day. But that's not how the schedule is. But they, they, they clearly didn't want the individual 400 or 400 hurdles inter, in, inter, intermixed with the, with the mixed gender 4 by 4 So they're running the mixed gender 4 by 4 the first weekend, and then they're starting the individual events. They'll do the 100 the first weekend as well. So it, it's fine. It's a good schedule. There's not a lot to complain about. Yeah, which I think that's a kudos to World Athletics because that is a complaint we often have is why aren't these doubles feasible? You know, they need to fix this. They do all these things. Well, it looks like they've, they haven't been reading Let's Run.com. They've been talking to some people because this is one of the better Olympic schedules I think we've had. One other thing I wanted to ask about is Jakob Ingebrigtsen. He said he wants to triple at the Worlds this year. That's not really possible. And at the Olympics next year. And we may have discussed this a little bit before, but as a fan, it would be very exciting to watch. But I also think about what happened to Safan Hassan in Tokyo, where it took her so long to come back from that. You know, she wasn't really running again until about May of 2022. And then we assume she'll, you know, she was contending for medals, but came up short in Eugene. We assume she'll kind of be back to normal this year, but. You know, that that's a massive endeavor to run three distance events in one Olympic Games and medal in all three. Is it something like, is it something Jakob should do? Like, do you worry it would, that it would endanger his long-term future? Or do you think, all right, he's a world champion, he's an Olympic champion. Why not try this big blowout when he's in his prime and try to run three goals when he can? What do you guys think? Would you advise him to do it or not? If he wants to do it, absolutely. Yes. Like, I, I, Hassan, don't, don't start with that nonsense. I, I almost tried to strangle you through the TV monitor. She, she, she was tired mentally. It wasn't physically exhausting that caused her not to run last year. She did a lot, mentally prepared for it. I think Ingebrigtsen loves to compete. We, he's, look, he's virtually unbeatable. We, we all agree we think he's unbeatable in a tactical, in a championship 5,000. Now, maybe we'll be proven wrong this year. So, does that extend all the way to the 10,000? Are these guys going to just drop him? You know, I don't know. I would love to see him in the 10,000. Um, you know, and, and, you know, he would have to run the 1500 prelim, the first round of 1500 um, on the morning of the 10,000 final, 11.05 AM, 9.20. So he's got, you know, nine and a half hours, but then he gets two days off. So I, I don't think it's going to jeopardize his other events. And, you know, you got the 1500 next and then the 5000. So for me, I don't even think about doing the triple unless I pull off the double this year in Budapest. He pulls that off. He's already the Olympic 1500 meter champion. So he's already got the one he wants. Do you get greedy and uh, you know and go for it what's the downside you could play it safe the 15-5 is pretty pretty conventional for him and you make history Pavo Nermi El Garouche John what did uh what's his name do Zatapak no he was longer distance right 
Well, Zadipek did the 5K, 10K marathon. And I guess here's, here's the selling point for Jakob. First of all, well then, he got the gold this year in Eugene in the 5K and was very close to the gold in the 1500. Just because he didn't win both, he came very close to doing the double. I think he's entitled to think about this triple based on a gold and silver. If he gets gold and silver in Budapest, he can absolutely say I would take, take it on. But think about Zadipek back in 1952... In Helsinki, he wins the 5K, 10K marathon. It's still talked about to this day as one of the greatest feats in the history of athletics. And I think Savan Hassan, what she did in Tokyo, gold, gold, bronze, that's going to go down as one of the greatest feats in the history of athletics. If he wins the 15-5, that'll, that'll be like one of his crowning moments. Absolutely. But this will go down if he could, if he pull, tries it and pulls it off, it would go down as sort of one of the greatest fe- feats in the history of the sport. That's the selling point. Like he would be spoken about as the modern day Zardipak, which would be pretty awesome. Right. I said, do you get greedy? That's not the right word. You go for greatness is the right word. If he's able to pull this off, it'll be one of the greatest feats in Olympic history. But the big question mark for me is the one event we're the least certain of, the 10,000 meters essentially is first. You have round one of the 1500 and then the 10K final that night. So one could even win the 10K, but it would be total uncharted territory for him. How does he bounce back from running a championship Olympic 10,000 meters? That might wreck him for a 1500 or 5K. He's never done anything like this. Whereas Hassan, sure, it was unprecedented for her, but she had the 10K last. I mean, she gutted that one out. I don't know how she pulled it off. I mean, it was epic. But it wasn't like she did had done that. Like Her un- uncharted thing was essentially putting the events together. He's never done one of these events. And it would be first. And it's the longest one, and you don't know what it's going to do to your body and that sort of stuff. Now, maybe some scientists could chime in and say, look, dude, you'll be fine. Your body will get back into it. I have no effing idea. We need him to change the schedule. Put the 10K last, 5K first. Move the 5K up even sooner so they don't overlap. Wallen raises a good point there. It's kind of it's a little bit dangerous when he's never run the 10 before. Have to have that one first. So, well, I don't think they need to overhaul the schedule. Like that's part of the challenge. This is meant to be hard. It's not supposed to be. Hey, we're designing the schedule perfect so it's going to be as easy as possible for you to do this. The schedule right now, it's possible. It's going to be very tough, but like that's part of the challenge. Is it's meant to be hard. I kind of wish the 10K was last, though. And he just was, like, granted a wild card at the last minute. Just, like, he wins the first two and just announced. Like, he wasn't in the entry list and just says, hey, I'm doing it. And then they let him in. Like well, that, That's like Zodipak in the marathon, right? Mm-hmm. He, I don't know if he was supposed to do it. And he's just like, we're going to do it. And then there's also the uncertainty because we're like, oh, we've seen him run the 15. We've seen him run the five. But this is no one knows what he's going to do in the 10, but he's going to give it a try and it's going to be the Olympic final. That would be amazing. Okay, let's say the 10K was last. And let's say he doesn't have a qualifying time and he wins the 15 and the 5. And he says in an exclusive interview to yours truly, I said, Hey, you said you talked to him in the past about doing a triple. Any interest you do it? He says, Yes, I want to run the 10 on, on Sunday night or Saturday night or whatever it is. Do you think they would let him do it? Break all the no, protocols? No, because. He, Sadly, they wanted to, he wanted to do that at Euros this year and he didn't, they, you know, and, and at the Worlds as well. Like, look, there should be a rule on the books. Put it in there right now, Sebco. 
if the fifteen hundred, if someone wins the fifteen hundred and the five thousand, the Olympic Games, they're allowed to get a wild card entry to the ten k. I mean, it doesn't matter because the schedule is backwards anyway, so it's not going to come into play. But that should be on the books. No, they should have a golden ticket. If you win a gold medal, you're free to enter any event you want. It's got to be your same sex, but that's it. You want to go do the long jump? Go ahead. The no, long, no, don't yes. make a mockery of throwing them in the long jump. But I, no, I, I actually do like this golden ticket. If you win any Olympic event, like you can run one within your event group. Like if you're the hundred meter champion, you can go and run the four hundred as well. We'll throw you into the meet without a standard just at the last second. I think that would be cool. What's the downside to that? Right, or an extra entry or whatever it is. What have our American visitors learned in the last week? I guess international visitors that are fans of American football. Rules are made to be changed. Like the NFL had a rule, like you, if a game is canceled, you go by a win percentage. And then they just voted to change the rules in the middle of the season. So you could theoretically vote to hold or change the rules in the middle of the Olympics and make an exception. I was kind of thinking, like, I don't want to make him have to qualify for the 10, but I actually think it would be good for him. Let's say he wins the 15 5 this year, seriously contemplating trouble. I do think it would be good for him to run a 10K early in the season to see what it's like. You know, because if he can't run, to be honest, I think if he can't break 27 flat, he ain't going to win this gold medal. Because I know it's prisoner's dilemma, but I cannot imagine these guys would be that stupid to let the pace go slow. It may be hot, but you would think they would set the damn pace up. But it would be so epic. Can you imagine if he's in the race and we're like, who's going to take the pace? And no one takes it. Then you're like, okay, this is turning into a 5,000. And we know how this ends. Oh, the Ugandans or the Kenyans or the Ethiopians would have to team. They'd be like, look, not only is it our best strategy to beat this guy in the 10, it'll probably wear him out for the 5K as well. Because that yeah, that would be his last race at the end of the meet. I mean, he's going to have to get a qualifier in the 10K somewhere, right? Like, we don't think he's going to have to run a 10 if he wants to do it somewhere. So he's going to have to run a 10 beforehand and at least see how he recovers for this to be a possibility. Although I would be fine if he just showed up and wanted to put him in the damn final. Go for it. I'm sure we will discuss this much more over the next year and a half. And actually, one this made me think, with the Olympic schedule being out, we're almost on the one year to go, Mark, for the Olympic marathon trials in Orlando. It'll be February 3rd. I know that specifically because it's my birthday. So... When we hit February 3rd, 2023, I think we should maybe do a little one year out. Who's going to make the team? Who's not? Get some predictions on paper or at least in podcast format. And then we can either look like geniuses a year later or we just burn the evidence and pretend they never happened. It's a win-win. Well, there's no downside. It's crazy that 2024 is almost here. Well, not almost here, but that COVID year pushing the Olympic 2020 Olympics to 2021 made things a lot more interesting back to college football or football. I thought Robert was going to go college football route. Shout out to all my people in Fort Worth. Nobody expected this year. Go frogs. Everybody in Michigan. How are you feeling? All right. Speaking of the Olympics, Rojo teased it in, in, in the intro. We had some Kenyan doping news come out after having 
at least 25 athletes suspended in 2022. We've already got a number of Kenyans suspended on the board in 2023, though a lot of them were actually suspended. I think most of them were suspended in 2022 by the Anti-Doping Agency of Kenya, and their names just weren't made public until the first week of 2023. And there were some fairly prominent names on that list. Matthew Sawe, who is the Kenyan record holder in the high jump. Alice Aprot, who finished fourth in the 2016 Olympics. She's the ninth in the 10,000. She's the ninth fastest 10K runner in history, 29.53. World XC silver medalist in 2017. Michael Kibet, 737 and 13.11 PBs. Kamari Taki, who is the world junior champion in the 1500 in 2016, and it was a semifinalist in the 1500 at Worlds last year. And then the one Let's Run fans might be most interested in, Michael Saruni. He was suspended for refusing to submit to a drug test in August, or his suspension became active in August. They haven't released all the details of this. He's the NCAA record holder in the 800 meters, ran at UTEP, NCAA indoor champion in 2018, an Olympian in 2021, and the third fastest man in history indoors at 143.98. And his connection is... I'm not 100% sure he was still training under Paul Orang and with Emmanuel Correa when the suspension took effect, but we know certainly when they were teammates at UTEP and then for the first few years of his professional career, Saruni was training part with Emmanuel Correa, who's the reigning world and Olympic champion, and Paul Orang, who's the coach at UTEP and was the Olympic champion in 1988 in the 800 meters. So Robert, when you see all these names come out and you see... Michael Saruni's among them. What What's your reaction? Well, my reaction was that was one of the worst leads into a story I've ever heard. You said a bunch of big names, and then you started talking about the Kenyan high jump champ. So, listen. Well, there is a big name in Kenya. The, the high jump champ? Is he good? He went, Robert, what, I, I found he's jumped 2.30 meters, which isn't bad. And one of the articles I saw, he was the headline name. Matthew Salway, national champion in the high jump. Record holder in the Kenyan record holder in the high jump. 2.03 meters? 2.30 meters. I wanted to lead up to Saruni at the end, and now you're just torpedoing my idea. Fine. Just talk about what you want to talk about. He's at least a seven and a half foot high jumper. I was just afraid this guy was. I thought this was like a 6'2 male high jumper, John was talking about. But. Well, the thing, the thing I thought that was interesting, Robert, he was banned for triamcinolone acetonide, which is the same substance that a lot of these distance runners were taking and now you've got the high jump national champion also taking the same substance so i was like wow how did how did he end up taking that look to me it's all about Cerrone. and i we probably should find out was he training with career is he still coached by airing i know he didn't test positive but is it I understand why some people on the message board are just like, why are we even fans of this sport? And it's not just a Kenyan thing. Everyone's, oh, every Kenyan's doping. There's a thread on the message board. Everyone who's run under 209 in the marathon is a doper. I don't believe that. But how many, I mean, it's just, who's not tied to drugs anymore? We've got Asbel Kiprop. We've got the marathon champion from Kenya busted. We've got, um, just so many Kenyan names tainted by drugs. And then uh, not just Kenyan. I mean, Mary Slaney, American teen star, Alberto Salazar banned 
for years. They're actually banned for life for sex stuff. Um, so, I, you know, so I'm not saying, you know, Elliot Kipchoge's training partner. I'm not saying all these people are dirty, but when someone tied, closely tied to someone else's dirty, it makes you wonder. So it's just much more prominent when this name is dropped. And then UTEP, it seems like there's been more than a couple people that have come through that school that have been popped for drugs recently. Well, Blessing Okabare, she was, she was popped and she was involved with Eric Lira, who was also an athlete at UTEP, looked to be her supplier. So yeah, certainly some questions about that school. No, I, I don't know that it means the school. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that Emmanuel career is dirty. I mean, these guys were massive talents when they showed up at UTEP. I mean, I remember talking to, I think it was Dave Smith. He was supposed to get either Cerrone or, or career to come. To, like, he was almost coming to Oklahoma state. And then he went to UTEP. Like these guys were known talents. I mean, supreme talents, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean just because Cerrone was dirty. doesn't, or I don't know if he's dirty just because he refused to take the drug test. It doesn't mean that he was always doping. He, he could have been coming, becoming desperate because he ran nine times this year, never broke 146. Maybe the, maybe, maybe the, the, the contracts are up this year and you're desperate to get another contract. And people say that we apologize for the white dopers. That may be true. I, I've had this story said to me and Dathan Ritzenheim, if you're listening, I apologize, but I'm going to say it. And Weldon's already looking angry, but I, I was talking to an alum and I said, you know, we, we knew Salazar was shady as hell. Everybody knew Salazar was shady as hell, but I'm like, well, but everyone that ran for the group, Rupp, Goucher, Ritz, clean as snow. No, nothing, nothing ever happened to them. Nothing was ever doped with them. They, they never doped. The only person Salazar ever doped was his own son. And I asked someone, I said, what do you think happened? Like, do you think Salazar secretly gave these guys massages and doped them? And someone said, basically implied, yes. Like, I, I think that may have happened. Like, if you're older career, your contract's up, you've got kids on the line, you need to get re-upped. Alberta's, Alberta wants to give you a massage two weeks before your marathon. You haven't done anything in years. And then you go out and you run a 207 marathon and you get renewed. Don't ask, don't tell. You don't know that you've... I, I don't know if that happened. And it's sad yeah. that I think that. Because I think Dathan Ritzenheim was one of the greatest talents in American history. But did he cheat intentionally? I have no idea. Did he even cheat unintentionally? I have no idea. But it's not just a Kenyan thing. It's an American thing. It's the whole sport thing. It's amazing that the sport is even as popular as it is because I'm sick of this shit. Yeah, I don't want to speculate about that sort of stuff we don't know about. But I think it is interesting, Robert, because this was another thing pointed out in the message board, is are these athletes, Alice Aprot was also banned uh, for a substance. It was quite a long substance that I'm not really familiar with. But unlike Saruni, it was like, you know, she actually failed a test and that's why she got a provisional suspension and the question was is it because these athletes have always been doing something untoward and they've finally been caught or is it because like you said i mean saruni made the olympics in 2021 he was still pretty good in 2021 and then 2020 his results were falling off he didn't really do much 2022 but and same with Alice Aprot. She was very good in 2016, 2017, and then really wasn't doing anything at all after that. 
do they just, as Bell Kiprot, when he tested positive for EPO, he was on the downswing of his career. Is this something that they make a bad, bad decision because they see the walls are closing in, they just want to get one more contract, that sort of thing? Or is it something that they've been doing throughout their entire lives? It's frustrating that we'll never know. I think I'd like to hear more about these situations. I'd like to hear what Sabruni's version of events is, why he didn't take this test. But yeah, you you got to question everything. That's another one of the things, unfortunate things about doping. Like I don't think there is the opinion anything any athlete who tests positive or serves a ban does should be stricken out, even if it was years before the offense in question because now their whole career is in question. Or you say, no, we don't know what they did. You just eliminate what we, you know, the achievements after we know the positive test. I don't think either approach is necessarily wrong. It's just one of the many things doping makes us think about when we evaluate this sport. Yeah, we need to reach out to Saruni. I mean, this guy went to school here in the States. He's got to be more reachable. Hell, anybody's reachable these days. But sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, it's some guy in Kenya. He's not going to talk to us. He's not in the system. But there's a lot of question marks here. And also, yeah, is this related at all to the Eric Lira situation? Now, Eric Lira, was a, he was a runner at UTEP, as John, as you noted. I think he was a 400-meter runner, from what I can tell here. He was the first person to be charged under what is called the Rodigenkoff Anti-Doping Act, which makes it illegal to dope in international sporting, aid doping in international sporting competitions, which is a joke. It shows how much lobbying power the pro sports have. You're allowed to evade, to support doping in professional baseball, professional football, no criminal charges. But you dope international sport, we'll go after you. That's not justice. Some of my big takeaways, if you want to dope, do it in the NFL. Wink, wink, we look the other way and you're back in four games. That's been the takeaway for a year. Julian Edelman's a beloved New England Patriot. He served a four-year PED suspension, never been adequately explained, but that's just what happens in the sport. Four-year dope? Four game, four game, oh, sorry. I was like, how did I miss that? No, it wasn't four years. Right? Okay, wow, I didn't realize it. Julian Edelman, once again, another Patriot cheat who everyone celebrates. There was a message board post on this but oh, there. this Lyra guy. Back to that. As Robert figures this out, he you know was essentially. I think text came up with him with when Blessing Okabari was busted for doping. So this trial hasn't happened, but he there's this UTEP connection. Hopefully, it stops there and the other athletes because there's been a lot of good athletes who go to UTEP besides Emmanuel Career. Toby Amazon went to UTEP. I mean, it's amazing how many athletes go, go through that school. Is that is 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 UTEP actually? Is it even close? Are they by far the number one track and field school right now? They have two two gold medalists. Well, I guess she hasn't won the Olympic gold, but they have, in terms of right now, track and field talent internationally. I guess there's other gold medalists, but uh, Michael Norman and Rye Benjamin both went to USC, so I'd say they're up that up there. Look, some of this is an economic thing. 
you know, I mean, uh, people from the third world are more likely to go to UTEP. People in the third world don't have as much money. And I think when you don't have as much money, you're more likely to dope. Uh, you know, I, I, I thought there was a good post in the message board by Coovet, and says the difference between 80K, about why people dope and Americans doping, it's in a, for us to dope versus Africans to dope or what people in Western worlds saying the difference between 80K and 400K a year in the West is nothing. So it's almost saying like, you know, if you're kind of like a, a so-so pro, someone was trying to defend, like someone's saying there's not a lot of doping in the West or a lot of people being caught. And why would that be the case? We still have an economic incentive because you could dope from being like your average 335 pro make the Olympics and be a 400K a year pro. Covet writes, the difference between 80K a year and 400K a year in the West is nothing compared to the difference of 0K zero, zero a year and even 10K a year in Kenya. In Kenya, 10K is equivalent to being a millionaire in the West. And in the West, your name gets tarnished as a drug cheat for life. Not only is your athletics career over, including coaching, etc., but it'll likely damage your career prospects for life as well, and possibly even your social life. In places like Kenya, there's virtually no stigma associated with cheating. It's not even regarded as cheating. It's just life. You win a couple of marathons, you get popped, and you retire in comfort in your Kenyan village with your family for the rest of your life. Well, he's off on one part. 10,000 is not equivalent to a million here, but no, but the, the, the gentle sentiment stands. I think but the difference between having no money and being like totally poor and having like forty or 50,000 a year is massive. You know, having your needs met. Like at 80K in the US, you have your needs met. If you make 400K, you're still worried about your job. You're not set for life. So I kind of see what they're saying. I mean, I remember when I was in Kenya, I went to the track and there's like four 10 milers training all day. Like they were worse than the kids on the Cornell team. And we're talking to this guy. He wanted me to give him some shoes because he didn't really have very many shoes. And, but he basically, from an economic standpoint, it made sense. The opportunity cost of him trying to run for a year or two was basically nothing because he had no job prospects. His dad like encouraged him to do it. Like they could go work for a few dollars a day or they could try to like, it's kind of like buying a lottery ticket. Maybe he gets on the circuit and picks up $50,000 and comes home versus that might be 10 years of work. So it's a killer parts problem. I'm talking, I guess, in a weird way, I'm, I mean, not a weird way, I'm de defending. I have a lot more sympathy for someone that dopes in Kenya than someone that dopes in America. Yeah, the pressures are different. Obviously, yeah, if you, if you, do, if you choose not to dope in America, but you're a college athlete, if you're a top talent in the United States, you've probably gotten a college scholarship, you've gotten an education, you have more opportunities available to you. If you're an athlete in Kenya... Maybe you started pursuing the sport earlier. Maybe you, maybe your family didn't have school fees. You know there are much bigger pressures, and they do the calculus. They say, "Well, okay, it's not strictly ethical, but I'm in such a shitty situation. I I'm going to take a chance here." Doesn't really justify it, but you can kind of understand why someone would think that way. But Cerrone did have he did come to America and was getting American education. And by the way, if you compare him to career, I mean, they, I think they both showed up at UTEP the same year. Career was better. I mean, career came in and instantly won indoor and outdoor titles. And then, then once he left and went pro, then Cerrone was able to win that one indoor title, I think, in 2017. 
2018. I mean, Cerny did break the collegiate record in the 800, but yeah, Korea was the better prospect by a bit. Also, Weldon, to revisit your question, top track and field schools in the world based on, you know, Olympic gold medals. A couple other, I just looked at the results. Texas A&M has a thing, Mo and Fred Curley, both world champ- reigning world champions. And University of Kentucky has Sydney McLaughlin, Leveroni, and Jasmine Camacho Quinn, who are both the world, the Olympic champions in the hurdles last year. So those are the competition for top track schools. Well, Sydney could transfer someone else. She hasn't finished, I assume, her degree. Why can Kentucky take credit for her? I mean, I think Mo did one year at Texas A&M as well. So they, that's where they went, though. Actually, it's pretty impressive with the SEC. You look at the, so many different world champions from the SEC last year. Fred Curley, 100. Grant Holloway from Florida in the 110-meter hurdles. Shawnee Miller-Weebo, Georgia in the 400. A Thing Mo, 800, Texas A&M. Sydney McLaughlin, Lavroni, 400 hurdles, Kentucky. It's just such a... I mean, there's a reason why that's one of the best track meets in the world every year is the SEC Outdoor Championships. It's just, the talent in that conference is ridiculous year after year. Well, speaking of the SEC, John, my old school Texas uncle texted me last night during that game. He was rooting for TCU. He's got connections to Sonny Dykes. He's, he's like, I'm so, so excited to be joining the SEC. He's like totally not, not serious. Over under Texas, it's like three wins the first year of the SEC. My God! Oh yeah, geez, I forgot Texas Oklahoma. Well, I mean Texas, they got some good track athletes too, though. That's God. How loaded is the SEC going to be with track? You're adding Texas in there as well. I just don't see the need for everybody being one conference. What's the point? But hey, they don't want to get left behind. The Big Twelve. What do you mean left behind? There's going to be a 12-team playoff anyway, so I, I just don't understand. It's broadcast revenue, which is tied to conference. And if things are moving towards just being two super conferences, the Big 10 and the SEC, you don't want to get left behind. It's one of the conferences that doesn't have anyone left. And why are we going to care about the Big 10? They got UCLA and USC now. so Oh, I guess they're getting them. Okay, but... Oregon, Oregon, hook up with TCU, baby. Phil Knight, make it happen. Make it rain, Phil. Come on, Phil. We need the little guys. If Oregon could be a little guy again, I'll start rooting for you. I'm about halfway through an article on Phil Knight in The Athletic. And it was I was fascinated by this article. It was like something like Phil Knight's not happy with what's happening in college sports. Like even Phil Knight can't control college sports. Like he's very much against the conference realignment and he thinks there's something really magical about how you love your sport and you compete and it makes you want to love your school for the rest of your life. But I, I kind of thought like, isn't it a little bit ironic that the guy complaining that everything has changed is the guy that so commercialized sport. How do you so commercialize sport? With huge endorsement contracts, sponsoring the coaches, giving them millions of dollars, like basically paying the athletic departments all the all the all, all the gear runs, people started wearing jerseys. You know, he paid the school ten million dollars for an apparel deal. And then once that happens, people are like, Well, why don't the kids get played? Or if it's just a money grab, we're gonna go where the most TV money is. Oh, there's positives and negatives to it. I mean, some of the endorsement money, not at the college level until recently, but professionally, was going to 
pro athletes who owned it, and that's yeah, it's a mixed blessing. Anyway, all right, that's that's a long discussion, not what we really here to talk about. How about one of the most exciting race finishes we had last week on the indoor track in Sheffield? Jake Whiteman, the reigning world champion in the fifteen hundred meters, lined up for a three thousand meter race, and he had the lead. He took the lead just before the bell. Had the lead coming off the final turn. You would expect at that point he's probably going to hold on to win, especially because the one man who was on his shoulder kicking with him was a guy by the name of Philip Sessiman, who most prominent result was in October he ran a marathon personal best of 212 in London. So you would think 212 marathoner kicking against the world champion in the 1500 meters. You're probably going to go with the world champion and you'll be wrong because Whiteman's tied up very badly. He actually stumbled across the finish line. Sessman came by him and takes the victory. 754.34 to 754.58. And I thought it was like really, I mean, that's the cool thing about our sport, right? Is the world champion can just line up against, you know, a good marathoner, but not an amazing track runner. And every dog has its day. Sessman beat him. But then immediately this clip starts doing the rounds on social media and people point out, actually, this isn't that uncommon for Jake Whiteman. Last year, the same meet, same time of year, he also ran the 3K and was also outkicked by an athlete named Osama Metzlek of Italy, who has a 339-1500 PB. They both ran 750, but Metzlek took the win, and Whiteman went on to win the world championships outdoors. So looking at this, result, I had two takeaways. One, I thought it was really cool. It's just one of the cool things about our sport. But the other is, I'm not really worried about Jake Whiteman. Clearly, he's a guy, he's a 1,500-800 guy. That's his strength. He moves up to the longer distance. And I think he just kind of ran out of gas. He was tired. He was lactic. He didn't really have any gears left. His kicks, you if you're totally exhausted, and your kick's going to be useless if you, if you can't, if you're not don't have enough energy to stand on your feet and run across the finish line properly. Clearly he was very tired, but he's putting in that base work now and he's hoping it pays off for him down the road. But Robert, you're a guy who, when Yard and Goose races, you like to read into it and make massive projections based on cross-country races in the fall about how that will affect his track season. Are you going to do the same here for Jake Whiteman or are you not concerned? A little bit concerned. I mean, last year, I think Whiteman did a lot of great stuff. He realized that 1500 is becoming a time trial. I have to get stronger so I can handle these fast races. It's just not sit and kick. Because he's got such great 100 meter speed, he's going to be good in any sit and kick race. So he worked on his endurance and he wins the world title. He's going back and doing the same thing. I'd actually seen an interview with his dad, the coach, and they said, oh, will he ever move up to the 5K? The answer was no, and you see why. He's not a 5K guy. He's an 815 guy, and he's struggling even at 3K. So he did lose last year, John. By the way, that guy, Meslick, ended up running 336, I think, last year. But he was a 339 guy at the time. But last year, he did run faster. It was a 750 race versus 754. That's all I'm saying. So it's like when Mary Kane didn't PR. It's like, oh, 
but I, I'm not going to read too much into it. Like, I, I think it's not when you're training. This is my free training advice for the week. When you're training, and he ran the same race the same weekend last year, but when you're training, particularly like in a base phase, I don't think it's productive to like be comparing yourself. Like if you're in the summer phase, like what was I running my easy, what pace was I running my easy runs in last week? Or what did I run my tempo run? Like don't even be looking at that. Just be training properly, trying to get your base in. It doesn't really matter if you run 750 versus 754, but I certainly don't think there's any indication right here that he's way fitter than he was last year. But at the end of the, th- the end of the day, we're not going to care who's, who's, who's fit in January or February. Well, maybe February if it's World Cross Country. But other than that, not a biggie. Yeah, I'm not reading into it at all. But he is running the 3K at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix on February 4th. I'd like to see how he does there because that's a big showcase for his sponsor, New Balance. It's going to be at the track in Boston. I imagine they'll have a decent field against him. So again, that that won't be the be-all, end-all either because... There is no world indoors or anything this year, but he'll want to put up a better show than that, I think, and I'm sure he will. Well, yeah, but last year on January 9th, he ran 750. Then he went to the it was the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix was in Staten Island, so he's, he's doing the exact same thing he did last year, and he was a super fast race. He was fourth in 737, which is his PB. So he had a good base last year. He was fit. He doesn't necessarily have to be fitter if he can get to the same level as he was last year he's going to be competitive in these in these global finals you know and have a shot there were a few other races that i have in my written version of the weekly recap the week that was that caught my eye uh hobbs kessler i'm close to predicting a break a, a good year for him you know he stabilized well he ran 334 us junior record under 20 in 2020 and then last year ran 2021 2021 yeah then last year ran 336 um, he opened up in 220 in the thousand. It's not a super fast time, but he closed in 26, eight beating Charlie Grice, uh, Ben Flanagan, you 10, 10 K NCAA champion 221. I was kind of shocked by that at first. Then I reminded myself he is a 357 miler, but there was also some interesting cross country races. I'm not sure if the American star is going to be in Australia. That's to be, to be determined. But the fact that, Connor Manson never got back to us. Makes me think he's not going to do a world cross, which is going to be disappointing to me. But Jeffrey Camor, this was a guy that was six at the Kenyan trials last week. He ran the a month later. Here we are. He runs the Kenyan police champs. He smokes the guy that was second at the Kenyan trials. Daniel Semenyu, the 1254, 5,000 PB beats him by six seconds. So I think Camor, who's one of the greatest cross country runners in history, two world titles. But remember if world cross wasn't every other year, he probably would have three or four titles. Um, you know, he's coming back for injury. That was a good, a good sign for me. And then Samuel Borrego, Olympic 10,000 meter champ. Hey, the U S runners never run cross country. He did run cross country, got a, a, a victory in Spain last week. And then there's 21 year old woman by the name of Rahel Daniel of Eritrea. Without much fanfare. She was fifth at worlds last year in the 10 K. Uh, she went from 1455 to 1436 and from 34 minutes in the 10K to 3012. Both of those are national records. She won both the Spain meet and the Campaccio meet in Italy. 
yeah, I was very impressed by Rahel Daniel. Uh, I put her on the short list of well-cross medal prospects because that's two major European races in three days. She won both of them. Pretty impressive. Selimon Brega, you called him Samuel Brega. Selimon Brega won the one Magurza meet in Spain, but he also said afterwards he didn't think he'd be running World Cross. I don't even know if he's eligible to run World Cross because he didn't finish in the top six of the Ethiopian trials. So I don't know if they would even send him. But yeah, da- Daniel, I think, has been running well. And then there's another gentleman by the name of Rodrigue Quizera of Burundi who's been having a huge cross-country season. You know, if you, I'm looking at his results here. Starting in October, he has run six cross-country races in Europe, and he's won four of them. His most recent one was the Campaccio meet in Italy on January 6th. He was fifth... Sorry. Looking at his results, World Cross back in 2019, he was 11th in 2019, and 39th in 2017, but 2017, he was only 17 years old when he ran that. So... He's coming into his prime and could be a name that will be vying for the title in Australia, assuming he goes. So, Rodrigo Quizera, remember the name. John, please. He's not going to be vying for the title. He's winning a bunch of low-level cross-country. I mean, these are gold medal meets, but the fields aren't that deep. While he's only 23, I don't think a 13-20 guy, 27-25 guy. He's won, he's won, he ran 26-56 on the roads last year. Okay. I, I, I mean, talking. I would take Chet the guy over him, but I don't know, Robert. I don't want to write him out. Write him off. I mean, who would have thought that Thierry and Dika Nayo of Burundi would run 725 on the track last year and become one of the fastest men in history, but he did. So, just saying, keep an eye on him. Okay, before we go, there's been a few uh, sponsorship changes and unretirements going on either as we've been recording the show or right before John, right before we got on i heard weldon talking about someone pulling at tom brady you're the new england patriots expert what is he talking about stephanie bruce who last year she said was going to be her grit finale you know she was talking about every race this is going to be the last time i ran xyz race but she had a pretty good year she ran the she won the 10K road national title and she has decided, well, she, I'll quote her on Instagram. I've been quiet on the social front lately as I've been gathering my thoughts. I do owe a genuine thank you to letting me for letting me play out 2022 as if it was my last and also for accepting that after a period of deep, deep reflection, now I've had a change of heart. I'm pivoting. I am not ready to hang up my racing shoes. So there it is. I'm not retiring. Which I say... Great. I mean, okay. Yeah, she did make this huge deal about saying, you know, this is my final year, I'm retiring, yada, yada, yada. I got a lot of attention for it. But if you want to keep running, keep running. I I don't have any issue with it. She was still pretty good. She won the NACAC championships as well. Seventh at USA's in the 10K on the track. You want to keep going? Do it. I, I think that's great. And best of luck. I don't want to hear her say 2023 is my retirement tour. You only really get one of those. But yeah, I have no issue with that. I think it's 
good for her. Well, this is good for Let's Run, too, because she's the last remaining pro in Flagstaff that was in Weldon Johnson's apartment. I don't know if she and Ben Bruce, do they live in the Let's Run house that we had out there, Weldon? Like, did you... If only we had purchased that house, we were living in, you know, we were renting houses. We should have purchased property in Flagstaff or, you know, been paying towards it. What do you call it, John? Like, I guess it's called a mortgage. Like, and then we would be rich now. But even that first place, remember the first place I lived? It's like a dump across the street from the police station. Just that real estate would be worth something. Flagstaff, we love you. We love you. But the Let's Run singlet is going, the runner does live at high altitude. We'll talk about this on Friday's show, racing in Houston. But they don't, they don't live, they live in high altitude, but they don't live in play. They live in Colorado somewhere. I hate to break it to Robert, but on this runner is a supporters club member. And on the last podcast, Robert was talking about how we should pay, who was it, John? Somebody $5,000 to wear the singlet in the Houston Marathon. Who was it, John? It was this guy, right? No, no. I was going to pay the, the, the Ethiopian guy. To show Mekinen. I was going to coach him. like, what? Robert, like, people wear tracksmith for free. They give him some free gear. But I'm sure he heard this and he, he wanted a payment. So Robert just said, hey, ship it to Singlet. And I'm like, am I supposed to? I don't have any T-shirts to put in there. And then I'm like, wow, what else is supposed to be in here? I started this right at it. But I've been under the weather for like a week. I've not checked the results of, of what, but I said, hey, what else should I put in the, with the singlet? I'm sure there's some interesting responses. I sent him about $100 worth of free gear, and then I was going to give him a free Supporters Club membership for life, which, you know, is worth thousands, right? So if he Probably lives millions by the time we're done, let's be well, honest. If, if this guy's a young guy, he lives for another 50 years, 50 times 100, it's, that's $5,000. So there we go. As long as he lives to be, in his 75 years of age, I've given him $5,000. I didn't know he's already supporting his club member. But some other people actually have sponsors. This person somehow is not a sponsor, despite being fourth in the Olympic trials. But Natasha Rogers, who made her first Worlds team last year for Hanson's Brooks, apparently he's just signed with Puma, which I don't think that's a big surprise because it wasn't Natasha sort of not living in Michigan and training on her own a lot. But the question I have, is she going to actually move to North Carolina and train with the Puma team? Or are going to let her do it remote? I would not let someone do it remote if I was having a team based in a certain location. Well, I mean, Jenny Simpson is a Puma athlete, and she's not going to be expected to join the team. Molly Seidel is a Puma athlete. Puma, I mean, Natasha Rogers is not on the name brand level of Molly Seidel or Jenny Simpson, but... I imagine if she has a training set up she's comfortable with, she'll stick with it. Well, she, if she, obviously she's not going to be with Hanson's anymore, but if she can find one she wants to do living elsewhere, I bet Puma will allow it. If not, they've got the option of a nascent pro group in North Carolina. The other... Wait, does anyone feel bad for the Hanson's? I do. Like, they were the first group. They started the group. I mean, I know there's groups in the 70s and 80s. They started the group concept again. They did so much for the thing. And now these people with just deeper pockets, like get the better runners or take their runners. You know, there was a thread on the message board. Natasha Rogers dumped, there's two threads. 
Natasha Rogers dumps Puma. I mean, dumps Hanson's was one. And one was Natasha Rogers to Puma. So I combined them and took the goes to Puma because it seemed nicer. Like, I don't think this is necessarily negative to Hanson's. She just had the best season of her career. And she's probably going to make a lot more money. Now, maybe she didn't like them. I know Desland did eventually moved on and started her own coaching, but I feel like those two brothers have done a lot for the sport. Well, they have done a lot, Robert, but they've never had a big budget. You know, most of the runners are expected to work in their stores. They're getting the occasional, like, A-plus result with, well, it's not fair to call Natasha Rogers or Des Linden, like, C-level talent, but C-level out of, out of college. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're signing generally people who are not stars of the sport to make them blossom. Is, it's a harder job. And so her leaving to Puma isn't a reflection on the Hansons, it's a reflection on the budget that Brooks gives them. Yeah, it's just the right realities of the sport, you know? Puma's making a splash in the sport. It's clear. They're throwing away some money. So good for everyone who can get the money. It makes the other shoe companies decide, hey, you know, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to stay relevant? Now, there was another signing you guys were telling me about. I don't think I'd even heard of this person. David Ribich has left the Brooks Beast, and he is now with P. Julian's Nike Union Athletics Club. Robert, what do you know about David Ribich? Well, I heard you guys talking about him before. Obviously, he was in the Brooks Beast program, but he's like a. This seems like an unusual signing to me. You're saying he's 336. I thought you were saying he's 336. I'm looking up. He just PR'd this year, 335.51. So that's pretty fast, you know, but he's 27, 148 PB. He's not a 3K guy. He's, a thir- he's not a 5K guy. He's a 1326 guy. So I don't know. This to me seems like how, how is this guy going to make a U.S. team? How is he going to beat a tier, a hawker? The Goose, Centro, like he kind of, there's a lot of good runners. I guess people have done it. Like John's favorite runner who he used to beat in high school. Um, Johnny Gregoric. I mean, some of these guys occasionally sneak onto the team. Gregoric made, made two teams in a world championship final, but this to me is an unusual signing. Just for the record, I did beat Johnny Gregoric once or twice in high school. I don't want to act as if like I own the guy. He beat me in the more important meets when it mattered, but I have one or two wins over him on my resume. John, I don't think people are going to act like that you own uh, the guy. I'd, well, I'd, I don't know. I mean, there. Are, I'm trying to think. There are some people I'm undefeated against. Like I'm, I think I'm undefeated against Woody Kincaid. One and zero, two and zero against Robbie Andrews. So you raced Woody Kincaid college 2012. Wisconsin Invitational, one of my best races in college and probably one of Woody's worst. He was like, I think he was like a freshman and I was a senior or something like that. I mean, to be young still, John, to, to be young. But no, this David Ribbage signing, it seems shocking that the Union Athletics Club, because usually they're signing like top level talent would sign him. I think there's a simple explanation. You need training partners for Donovan Brazier and crew. And David, you know, you need team players, right? People who are going to be on the team, contribute to the team, contribute to the environment. If David can blossom, great. Maybe he can make a U.S. team. 
I mean, you're a 335 guy. Like, it's not out of the realm of questions. You respond to a new training stimulus. But if not, Razor needs people to train with. They got, what, Charlie Hunter? Craig Ingalls left this year. So just for workouts, I, some people like having bodies around. I personally would like to have more people around, I think, to train with if I was was Brazier. So who knows like what the connection is there. I, I think, to me, that's what this signing designates. But what do you guys think? I mean, that would make sense. But the thing is, we talked to Pete Julian on our pro coaches tour last year. And I remember him saying, when he looks to add an athlete to the group, he doesn't add athletes who he doesn't, who he can't see meddling at a world or Olympic games. And to me, I think that's, it's, that's a total pipe dream. David Ribich isn't going to meddle at one of those events. You know, it's going to be tough for him to even make a team. So does this reflect a change in his approach or, you know, otherwise what's the justification for signing him? But I don't know. I think David Ribich, he was with Brooks for a few years uh, he showed occasional flashes, but you know, like thirteen twenty six last year, I actually thought that was quite a good run for him in the five k. But he ended up running the fifteen hundred of the trials. He made the Olympic trials final in the fifteen hundred, but he finished twelfth. Last year, he runs three thirty five, which is a PB, but he doesn't make the final at USA's. But yeah, like he's twenty seven years old. There's a lot of new young talents in the 1500 it's going to be hard a big challenge for him to make the team so that's why i agree with you guys i thought it was surprising that union signed him but i'm never gonna be mad about athletes getting i'm not gonna be mad about shoe companies signing athletes i always think that's a good thing for the sport it's just curious a curious signing i agree former d2 star just looking him up someone saved the tape Mark it down, January 10th, 2023. When he makes the Olympic team next year, we're going to have him on as a featured guest. John's going to look like a fool. We're going to bow down to him and Pete Julian. 2024, Olympic 1500 meter champion, David Rivich, baby. John, who would have thought that Jake Whiteman could win the 1500 meters? This is going to be the greatest rags riches story. I remember talking to Pete at the, this year's New York City Marathon. He's like, oh, we got a few signings coming up. I thought he said some 800 guy. Oh, Noah Kibet. The world, well, Noah Kibet, and I'm very excited about this guy. World indoor silver medalist last year from Kenya, and he did that at the age of 17. He came out, do you guys remember the first Diamond League of 2022 in Doha? It was super slow. Uh, winning time of 149. Who won that race? Noah Kibet. He went out in the semis of the world's last year but that guy this is the robert johnson theory of super talented kenyan now getting thrown into a western group with you know top-notch medicine medicine well yeah medicine training training facilities that sort of thing i I would think robert will be very high on this signing because i'm intrigued to see what robert would noah quebec will do and if he's training with donovan brazier and brazier's healthy i think this could be fascinating Oh my God. I can't believe we just happened into this. I remember this guy from world indoors, John, his talent flashed up on the screen. Like when he was kind of running naive, like, you know, they were their first time on the stage. I, I don't remember, but I remember thinking big talent, big. 
This is bad news, though, for America. Oh, my God. This is it for David Rudisha. Rudisha is going to be his training partner. Rudisha? Rudisha? Be, I mean, not Rudisha. Uh, Donovan Brazier's now got no chance. They, this is like the Dave, why David Epstein wrote the book Sports Gene. He realized like some people are just more talented than others. And he gave them the same training. And oh, my God. Now they're going to have the same training. And clearly, this Quebec guy is a much bigger talent than Brazier. Oh, wait, Brazier. Wait, 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 hold, hold on a second. That was a joke. Brazier won <laughs> okay, a world okay. title. But what if Brazier has not only won a world title, he has set the meet record at the world championships. Like, Darren Brazier is a very big talent. That, this is, that's going to be sick. Wow. Oh, now I'm excited for the, U- for the Union Athletic Club. I was like, wow. I'm excited to see what this Kenny guy can do. I promise you. You give me talent like that, I'll coach you to a medal every year. Every year. There won't be injuries. There won't be surgeries. None of that crap. <laughs> Wait, you're just promising that you can prevent injuries now? Come on, Robert. You're not God. Name name one one or ten years ahead of surgery for me, John. I hear crickets. Well, I don't I can barely name any of your runners because well, you're coaching at a school that didn't even win a Haps cross-country title. So I don't know what you want me to say. Wait, I was Googling around here trying to figure out when Noah Cabet signed with Union Athletics Club. And I found this guy on the internet from November 7th, 2022. Jonathan Gold. Interesting nugget from Wells and John's interview with Pete Julian. Kenya's Noah Cabet will be joining the Nike Union Athletics Club. John, did I break the news? Is it official even? You, I, you broke the news. You just totally buried the lead. I remember watching your video from the New York City Marathon, and he mentioned Noah Cabet. I'm like, Noah, I like you didn't say anything on the day, but I was reading, watching the interview back after the race. I'm like, Noah Cabet, that guy's a stud. Like, I'm shocked we didn't have more. I mean, we were focused on the New York City Marathon that day and like Sharon Lachetti and all that stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you probably know why I didn't. Say anything at the time, John probably went right over my head at the time with the New York City Marathon. Cabet, <laughs> Noah Cabet. I wasn't at World Indoors, but is he officially on the team yet? He's training with them. I've seen like social media posts. Like he's he's out there in Portland or wherever they're training at the moment. So there goes my theory to need more bodies, but still, they got Noah Cabet for Donovan Brazier. Maybe they'll have rival training groups like Kabat and Ribich, Frazier, and uh, what's the Australian guy's name? Charlie Hunter. Hunter. They've got I've, they've got a couple other athletes they added as well. They added Michaela Maya, who is the NCAA champion in 2021. She was fourth at the Olympic trials that year, ran 158. And I think there is one more that i would have to look up but they yeah they've, they've made some additions yeah who was the villanova runner last year i think that's who they added probably asking the wrong people here ncaa 800 meter runner virginia meyer Michaela meyer oh no i just named her sorry that's Vill- villanova michaela meyer is the virginia runner McKenna Keegan? Yes, that's it. Yeah, she was the runner-up in the 800 at NCAAs last year. She's on the team as well. So they're, they're making some moves. Oh, my God. I found the information. This is all coming back to me. I'm even more excited than I was just a few minutes ago. 
uh, Dateline, March 18th, 2022, Belgrade, Serbia, Robert Johnson, article by Robert Johnson and Jonathan Gold. 17-year-old Kenyan Noah Kibet was the revelation of the morning session. Watching the first heat of the first round of the men's 800 today, you'd never have guessed that Kenyan Noah Kibet was running just a sixth under race of his life and had finished in fifth in his last race on the circuit and leaving. Today, he was third at 600, but put in a huge spurt and dominated the final lap, closing in 26.94 to, to beat Brush Hopple by 0.46. Isn't that the opposite of what you said, though? You said he ran like he'd never run indoors before and he was totally inexperienced. Sounded like he ran great. I just knew his talent popped off the page. And then on May 31st, I started a thread. May 31st, 2022. Kenya's 17-year-old since... Oh, this is a different guy. Never mind. Emmanuel Wanyani wins his European debut. Might he be a player world? Different guy. Never mind. They've got a lot of 17-year-old sensations that looks old. Wanyani won Worlds in 143.76. Quebec was third, 144.88. Well, juniors in 2021, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's going to do it for this week's episode like we said at the top, we have the Houston Marathon and Houston Half Marathon this weekend. Lots of storylines there. Connor Mance, Emily Sisson, Jenny Simpson debut, Tiranesh Tababa's return to show me Mekinen, uh, the Ethiopian American who will be running. He's run, you know, 60.02 in the half. He's running the full marathon and is supposedly in quite good shape. We'll preview that thing in depth on Friday. We'll have some preview articles coming this week as well, looking at the races. So yeah, if you're not a supporters club member, let's run.com slash subscribe to get access to that podcast. Otherwise I think it's going to do it this week, guys. Go Cowboys. Go Ravens. You don't need a VPN to watch the Dallas Cowboys, but for other sports you often do remember Lord VPN. Let's run.com slash VPN.